Behind every success story, there is a long line of triumphs and defeats that remain hidden from others. These stories get condensed into journeys that minimize the struggle and wrap up with a happy ending. But we know that's not how life works. That's where From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay comes in. On today's show, you'll hear honest conversations about the challenges that Mark's guest faced and how they overcame adversity. Now, here is your host, Mark Azoulay. Welcome back. I'm sitting here with Steve Gavatorta, and we're talking about a topic that is near and dear to my heart, and I know it's close to yours, uh, in defense of adversity. We're going to talk about how challenge makes us stronger. Right. And I think this is such a timely topic. And I see it in a lot in my practice of where's the balance between, you know, being supportive, being, you know, gratifying, being nice, for lack of a better term, and being challenging, right? Finding ways to challenge someone at the at right level to make them grow. So Steve is a consultant. He's a speaker. Uh, he runs workshops. He's an author. He's a coach. He does a ton of stuff in the field. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, my friend. Great. Uh, what a fantastic topic, if I may say so myself. I'm uh, excited to talk about it. Yeah. So I want to kick you off. We in the, On this show, we start with the personal story, right? And your story really <laughs> pricked up my ear. Um, without spoiling too much, you have a story of when your family's house fell into a hole, literally sunk into the Yes. <laughs> That's correct. Yeah, I call it, the, I, in my book, a recent book, In Defense of Adversity, there is a chapter dedicated to it. And it's called the summer from hell. Uh, it, it, that's the uh, fond memories of my summer from hell, as I should say. But you know, it's uh, it was the summer of hell, but it was one of the most, if not the most, influential moments in my entire life. Um, it was the end. It was nineteen shoot has to be nineteen eighty four. Um, I was at the end of my junior year in college, and it was a beautiful spring day. I went to college. I'm from Pittsburgh originally. That may explain the falling in the hole once if people know about Pittsburgh. I'll expound, expand on that in a bit. But it was the end of my junior year. Things were great. I was going into my senior year outside spring day playing with my fraternity brothers. I think it was April, May time frame. And um, all of a sudden, one of my fraternity brothers, about 1 o'clock in the afternoon, comes out and says, hey, your mom's on the phone. Which, you know, we didn't have cell phones. I'm an old guy. We had to go into the you know, fraternity phone. And then uh, I was a little shocked at that moment because my mom never called, let alone calling in the afternoon like that. So it just initially hit me, pick up the phone and I could tell she had been crying. And she went on to say, Steve, I want you to know before you hear from anyone else, we've lost our house. And, you know, going through my mind, you know, what's, what, what do you mean we lost our house? I'm, we owned a produce market. My dad was a businessman. My mom worked as an accountant for the school district. I'm thinking, did something happen with the market? You know, bad investment? Did we lose our money? Uh, that wasn't it. What had happened is the night before, my parents were sitting. We had a long ranch house in a, in a, in a townhouse 32 miles uh, west of Pittsburgh, and they were watching TV at night. And all of a sudden, they heard these strange noises going through the house. And they were looking. They could see the ceiling starting to crumble. They could see cracks coming along the walls, almost like the movie The Exorcist. You were seeing the house was yeah. almost possessed, hearing all these strange, you know, we had our normal house settling noises, but nothing like they were hearing that night. And they were just shocked. They were frightened. So my grandmother lived on our property as well, too. So they went and spent the night with my grandmother's. Next day they came in. And as I said, it was a ranch type house, one story. 
they walked in and they could immediately see it was a long house. They could immediately see the picture window was crooked. As they walked in, in the living room, our house collapsed. Now it didn't all collapse in the hole downwards. The, the foundation cracked in two, split about four feet. Um, essentially something that couldn't be rebuilt or redone. Um, the picture windows were bent strange. It was just almost demolished. And um, ultimately what had happened, unbeknownst to us, it was something called mine subsidence, which is pretty common in Western Pennsylvania because of all the coal mines. And unbeknownst to us, our family, our house was literally built over a coal mining room, the room where all the coal miners went down into, and they okay. shot in other you know, little mining areas. Our house was built right over one of those. And uh, we didn't know that. There was no records of that. And um, to add insult, to in so the house was gone. You couldn't redo, couldn't rebuild the foundation. The hole was massive. And um, unbeknownst to us as well, homeowners didn't cover that. Um, you had to have special mine subsidence insurance, which was ridiculous. It was like $80 a year, ridiculously cheap. You know, had they known, they would have bought that. So we really couldn't do anything. Um, but the government came in and said that um, we will refill the hole. And if you rebuild on this property, once we fill the hole in, which it took like a whole week to fill it with, I think it was 500 ton of cement and fly ash for a week. Whoa, Dump just trucks, dumping. Cement yeah. trucks. Yeah, just filling that hole. And um, the government said, if you rebuild on that property, they were responsible for the ground down. We were responsible for everything up. They said, if you rebuild on this property, we'll give you a 2% loan. And that was the best thing we had. <laughs> so that's what we went with. So we ended up, um, I ended up leaving my junior year that year, came home, and we were living in a little one-bedroom apartment. I was sleeping on the floor. And while my dad was working the produce market and, um, and my mom was working the school district, we were preparing for you know, them to level the land and for us to start rebuilding on the property. So that's the house piece. This, it, it is the beginning of the summer from hell. Um, so as I said, I, my dad owned a produce market. In the summers and holidays, I would work at the market. I didn't have any spring break. I didn't have any time off. I worked in the market. And um, each year I worked in my, my dad's market, um, he taught me something new. Taught me how to work the register. Taught me how to order, deliver deliveries, deal with customer service, merchandising. Really taught me everything. The only thing he hadn't taught me yet was how he, what his profit margins were on different products, how he, how he calculated it, which I knew, but what were the different margins on a different product and stuff like that. So I'm not home a week. We're dealing with a house, living in a one bedroom apartment. I'm sleeping on a floor, a little unsure of the history. We're all a little shell shocked. What's going to happen to our family? Not one week after I'm home, my father who was had arthritis started complaining about his lung, his chest bothering him. So at that time, I'm starting to think, maybe it's time you t teach me, Dad, your profit margins, how you do profit. Mm -hmm. yeah. Thank God he did, because the next day, he's laid up in the hospital. His lung collapsed from a loose calcium deposit from the arthritis and slid his lung, and it collapsed. So here I am, a 20-year-old kid. This was the most 
I will now, I can still feel it. I get emotional talking about it. Now I'm 59 years old. This was when I was rough, roughly 20. Um, I still remember the weight of the world on my shoulders. You know, we're dealing with the house. What are we going to do? Now, our only source of revenue coming in, the, ma- the king of the castle, my dad, is down. Our only source of revenue is the, mar- well, main source of revenue is the market. You know, what am I going to do? What are we going to do? You know, and it, it was like five minutes of hell. That's why I call it the summer from hell. Just the weight of the world on my shoulders. Then a very strange thing happened. Um, I had a strange sense of calm about me. I mean, it was a hor- I mean, it was a rough time. I might might be downplaying, not playing up enough. How you know we were just beaten down to that extent. But at that time, uh, like ten, five, ten minutes after I got kind of got my bearings, I realized that you know what, my dad set me up for this day, mm-hmm. for this moment. You know, by teaching me, passing on the baton slowly to some extent. And preparing me not for exactly what happened, but in case someone needed to take over that store, you could do this. And it ended up, I ended up running the business as my dad recouped that year over the summer. He kind of went up and sat and watched the rebuilding of our house. Um, I ran the market um, and, and I ran it for the entire summer. Now, the summer from hell didn't totally end that time. Our family dog died. Oh my god! And I unfortunately, yeah. Oh, it was that. That one was the one that set my mother off, yeah. off a little bit. Everything else she handled except that. That was a little. That's the one that finally got her. But um, and then I actually played Division three football at Allegheny College, and I couldn't play my senior year because I had to run the market. I couldn't go to summer camp. But anyhow, long story short was that was one of the most successful years of our family business. And that year I went from a, a, a man or a teen or a teen or a, a kid to becoming a man. Mm-hmm. It really, uh, the, one of the most, if not the most influential things that had ever happened in my life. And I firmly believe Mark, if that did not happen, I still may be in that podunk little town, not be, not who I am today. Um, the repercussions, the positive repercussions that came from that very difficult time, um, are immense. Um, I think the end of my senior, so end of my, end of my, end of that summer, by time I was had to go back to college. My dad was ready to go back into the market. The house was almost done. So things were semi-normal. I shipped off to college. End of my senior year, out of all my fraternity brothers, and I went to a very good school. Allegheny College is a very good school. Um, went to college with some very smart guys. Um, I actually had the most job offers than any of my fraternity brothers, and not because of my great grades, but because my scholarship abilities, uh, scholarly abilities. It was because when I was interviewing with companies, they wanted to know how, what happened that summer and how did you run that business? <laughs> Through that experience, I was able to exhibit any skill relevant to just about any job I interviewed for. Communication skills, leadership skills, managerial skills, marketing skills, problem-solving skills, dealing with adversity, dealing with obstacles. And not only had I experienced those skills, I actually had real-world stories to share 
that validated those. So I had all the behaviors or competencies relevant for many job offers that uh, I had out there. So um, my summer from hell, I, I do call it that very fondly in many, many ways, tongue in cheek, because ultimately it, it, it helped me become a man and, and was one of the, is one of the most, if not the most influential moment in my life. Yeah, this is a fascinating story. And I'm really interested in that moment that you described there, right? Of that moment of peace, you said five or 10 minutes after you got that initial hit, right? Yeah. What do you think, whether about you or your environment or your upbringing or whatever it was, what do you think inspired you to step up rather than to fall apart? Because I could see that story going yeah. two different ways. Oh, no doubt. That's what I'm saying. Even if, if, if I did, imagine I said, um, if that didn't happen, where would I have been? Imagine if I didn't take the bull by the horns, where would I have been? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, here, he didn't take it. You know, uh, who, we're going to have to close the market for the summer. You know, who knows? Maybe go on uh, government assistance. Who knows? I mean, I, my, my uh, ego would have been shot, you know, so it could have gone a different way. But it's really strange. It's a great question you're asking. And I didn't discover the answer until I was researching my book, <laughs> In Defense of Adversity. And it's simply this, um, through my research of my book, I talk a lot about, and I can share how I came to this knowledge because I didn't just, someone introduced this to me, but there are two important parts of our brain that, that are important to know about. The first one is called our limbic system, also known as our emotional brain. That's what we're born with. And the limbic system does not grow, transform, or evolve through time. It's what we're born with. And when we're functioning in our limbic system, our response to situations, especially adverse situations, is going to be emotional. Freeze, fight, or flight, or some combination of those, those, those three. Um, and that's obviously not where you want to be when you're in an adverse situation. Um, the cortex part of our brain, that's the other part that's important, is known as our rational brain. That does grow, transform, and evolve through time, through our life experiences, good and bad, just as I said, through our education system, through our training and development. We can grow our cortex, and that's where rational thinking lies. That's where, where, where logic lies. That's where you want to be when adversity strikes. So long story short about what you asked was, I was falling into the cortex part of the brain because my father, through his development of me, understanding various parts of the business, developed my cortex. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, it sounds like you had the tools necessary to survive, right? When you were in that shock experience, you were like, oh, wait, I have something for this, rather than hitting exactly. emptiness, right? Or confusion or fear or panic or whatever might have come up. Or freeze, fight, or flight. Initially, I did, I either probably had freeze, fight, it was one of them because the world, the weight of the world was in, on me. And it was very difficult for me. I couldn't see straight, I couldn't think straight. And I don't know where it came from, Mark, but it was, I can still feel that calming feeling. And, and that's what I truly believe came into play that there, were, there was a, a situation that my father prepared me for that allowed me to stay calm and stay, I can do this. I have the skills to do this. If my dad hadn't prepared me for that, hadn't given me the responsibility, you know, I may not have 
fallen, I may have fallen in a freeze fight or flight. And if you encompass the entire story about my summer from hell, that whole story was a cortex building experience for my future. So one was my father delivering some cortex of building rational thinking foundational skills that prepared me for this time. But this time in and of itself gave me an education about myself, about adversity, about what you can learn and what you can take away from adverse times. So this lesson in and of itself bode well for me in my future life, future as well too. So it wasn't just the success of running the business. It was the whole experience of adversity and knowing you can overcome that. And once again, I firmly believe it was the limbic system and the cortex, the dynamic where, thank goodness, the cortex, you know, took over. Yeah, that's really fascinating. And I want to talk about that more on the other side of the commercial break. You know, a big thing that I do in my practice working mainly with men is trying to figure out the appropriate level of challenge. And that's what I'm hearing as you're talking, right? Is that your father throughout your life growing up was finding the just the right amount of challenge for you yeah. from when you were little all the way up until you were 20 and had to, you know, take on the business suddenly, but of trying to find things that helped you to grow because it, there's something so beautiful in that sweet spot. And I'd be curious, you know, what your thoughts are about it, that it's not too overwhelming. That doesn't just crush you and make you want to give up or run away, but it's not too easy so that you don't grow. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like yeah. your dad was was really a master of that. And I'd imagine you brought that into some of the work that you've done with your consulting clients. So let's wrap up here. I'll move into a commercial okay. break. and we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about finding that perfect level of challenge to stimulate that cortex growth. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C-Azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y, dot teachable.com. Our thoughts and feelings not only affect our own lives, but the lives of everyone around us. Find new meanings of love, authentic expressions, and better connections with the people in your life. Tune in to Love Light with Dr. Jean Marie Farish. This program will feature guests and discuss ideas that will bring a better life to you. When you find this perspective on love, it will change everything. Listen live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
Change your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back. I'm sitting here with Steve Gavatorta, author of In Defense of Adversity, and I'm really curious about this perfect level of challenge because it's a skill I'm trying to develop and it's a skill that yeah. people have been able to master. And, and I think men in particular that master this blow me away because mm-hmm. you talk about growth and I agree there's this level of organic growth, which is overcoming these challenges that stimulate us, right. And make us force yeah. us to grow. Right. But how do yeah. you maybe, I don't know, as a, as a, partner or parent or coach or consultant or whatever roles comes to mind, how do you determine what that perfect level is? Because I think that's the real artistry in it is generating that and creating that for somebody else. Yeah. And this evolves kind of that answer evolved in research from my book too. Um, Part of this whole cortex and limbic system thing I, I learned about, I do a martial art called Muay Thai. I'm not sure, Muay Thai, I'm not sure if you heard of that, but it's Thai boxing. So Mm -hmm. they call it the art of eight limbs, fists, elbows, knees, and feet. And I learned that from one of my former cortex Olympic through one of my uh, former kickboxing instructors, Eric Parker, interesting guy. But as I was come, that was one of the first things that hit me about uh, one of the most foundational pieces of my book is that brain functionality piece, then falling through with the exact question you're asking. And what I do in my book and what I'll do with my clients is I will connect the dots between the limbic uh, cortex understanding with a behavioral assessment I use called DISC. Are you familiar with DISC? I've heard of it, yeah, but can you go through it again for our listeners? Yeah, it's a Jungian-based assessment, very similar to Myers-Briggs. I'm certified Myers-Briggs. I'm certified in DISC. I'm certified in something called Baron EQ, Emotional Intelligence. And DISC is an acronym for four behavior styles. So DISC is an assessment. You take a questionnaire, it only takes 10 to 15 minutes, and you answer 28 questions. And through that survey, it will tell you what your DISC behavior style is. And I'll get into those four styles in a bit. So it can help you a lot, understand a lot about yourself, you know, my behavior, you know, how I behave, how I communicate, how I make decisions, what motivates me, um, how I deal with change, risk, conflict, and adversity. And the more I, people can understand those attributes about themselves, the more successful they're going to be. So the four DISC behavior styles are dominance, that's D, it's an acronym for the four styles, I is influence, S is steadiness, C is compliance. Through the research on my book and being certified in DISC and connecting the dots, what I've able to do is make a connection between the limbic system thinking and cortex thinking relating to each disc behavior style. So what I call triggers and responses of each style. So what I, I look at first the limbic side, what are e- what I call emotional triggers 
And what is your emotional response to that trigger? So uh, dominant style people are very aggressive, forceful, they're competitive, they don't like losing. So an emotional trigger for them could be losing. And their emotional response out of freeze, fight, or flight would be fight back, get angry, shut down, you know, so, so on and so forth. So I, with each force of the four styles, I've been able to isolate what are emotional triggers for those four styles and what is your emotional response? Are you a freezer, fighter, and, or flighter or some combination of those? Through that self-knowledge, you're going to be able to not only understand for yourself, but understand others, what are those things that can set them in that negative state and how can we sell and what does it look like? So the more you can understand those triggers and responses, the more you're going to be able to self-manage yourself. So to your point, if I'm a co athletic coach or a business coach, I'm, I'm going to raise the awareness of my client or my, my, my athlete to help them better understand what are those things that trigger you? What's it feel like so we can manage that? Then what things do you have in your arsenal to fall back on that allow you to work from the cortex? Is it training? Is it life experiences? What are those things you've learned that you can fall back on? So it's really raising your awareness, raising your emotional intelligence about understanding your your and other people's trigger emotional triggers and responses, and then falling back on what's in our arsenal of cortex experiences that we can leverage to help you stay calm, cool, and collected. Uh, as an example, my kickboxing coach, Eric Parker, talks about learning the fundamentals, striking fundamentals, how to kick, how to strike, how to do all the fundamentals of a kickboxer. So that's learning base fundamentals. He, he's teaching muscle memory. He's building the cortex. Then what he does, he has his fighters spar. So now you're using the skills you learn in real world environments. So when you're really in a fight, you don't panic. You don't fall in that court, uh, limbic system. And he'll even put patches on eye fighters to simulate what happens when their eyes close, things of that nature. So those things are cortex creating skills for a fighter. I look at what I do as a coach, trainer, and consultant, creating cortex skills for success in business, in personal development. I'll give you an example. Um, one of the main things I work on, I really see this limbic system cortex thing manifest is when a salesperson gets an objection from a client. Mm -hmm. You know what an objection is, right? The client says no, yeah. or we're not going to do that, or gets angry. Like clockwork, if a salesperson does not have the skills to handle, will know how to handle an objection, he or she will either fight back, they'll shut down, they'll panic, they'll start stuttering. It's not because they're bad people. They are functioning in that emotional limbic state now. They're not functioning. They don't know how to handle objection. So what I, why I think training and development is so important for personal and professional development is because you're creating training skills to how to be successful in a given job, in a, in a given role. Just like my father prepared me how to successfully run a produce market, I teach people in the example that I just mentioned how to handle an objection. When a customer gives you an objection, 
no need to respond back right away. Write it down, keep your composure and respond with a process I call the three F's, feel, felt, and found. You know, and, and, and just knowledge that you have a skill to handle an objection can keep you in that cortex state of mind. Does that follow? You follow where I'm going there, Mark? Oh, yeah. It makes a ton of sense. And I really like your combination of both the practical skills and dealing with your emotional state under fire. Because I think that second piece of dealing with the emotional state under fire is something that needs to be talked about a lot more. You know, I've done a lot of work, a lot of training. You know, some therapists work this way. I work a little bit more like you, that they give a lot of skills, a lot of information, a lot of knowledge. You know, you get your worksheets, you get your acronyms, you get all the stuff, right? But they don't do that extra step to actually put their clients under a little bit of fire, just like your, you know, trainer does, to work on that emotional side of it. Because all that stuff can go out the window if you're getting flooded by a feeling. That's right. So, so, you know, even in workshops, that's why in many people that do workshops, they'll do role play or they'll work on case studies because you're taking the skills of how to handle an objection, because that's what we're talking about, and actually putting them in a play with a role play example. So Eric Parker, my kickboxing instructor, talks about uh, uh, first being Skinner box theory, learning fundamentals for success in a given job and a given martial arts, build that muscle memory, so to speak. Then he talks about Gestalt theory, putting those experiences into real world environment. Mm-hmm. So now you're seeing how this skill Steve's teaching me today or how this skill Eric Parker's teaching me today applies to this world I live in. So when I actually experience this world, it's not unfamiliar to me, you know, so that's where this whole thing comes about. You know, this whole discovery of cortex and limbic system and tying it to the disc behavior styles has been hugely helpful to me personally. You know, I didn't know until I started isolating my triggers, my emotional triggers and responses. I kind of knew I did some dumb things when I was in an emotional state, but I didn't know why. And I really didn't, didn't know. I, I'm, I, I felt it, but not as intensely as I feel now. I'm a freezer and a, I'm a, I'm a, I shouldn't say that. I'm a freezer when I'm, in, I'm, when I'm in my cortex part of my brain. I'll shut down. I'll show no emotion. I'll, in, I'll, I'll internalize things to the point I can't think clear. So now I'm much more aware of what are those things that can trigger me into that emotional response and how it feels. Now I can better self-manage. Because it's imperative, because once you fall into freeze, fight, or flight, you can't necessarily get out of that right away, depending on who you are, depending on the breadth and depth of that situation. It may take years. You may never get over it. It may take moments. But the point is, try to never fall into that, because it's hard to get out of that, that whole thing. So, um, you know, going back to you, knowing who your client is or knowing who your training is imperative because you'll know how to push them. You'll know where to push them. Um, you know, I played, uh, I was played football for 13 years. Coaches who yelled and screamed at me, turned their back on me and walked away. Didn't motivate me. I shut down more right, wrong, or indifferent. That is not what worked for me. Now, some of my, uh, 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 other players, teammates, that motivated them. They came back mad. They wanted to show the coach they were wrong. 
coaches who got the best out of me were the ones that, you know, they may have grabbed me by the face mask, but they're like, come on, Stevie, you can do this. Come on, man. You know, they, they was more of a collaborative feel to the way they approached me. So I do talk with a lot of athletes, college football teams. I do a little work with the Iowa Hawkeyes quarterbacks coach in really helping them understand the styles of their players, identifying those emotional triggers and knowing how far they can push them and putting them in certain precarious situations to make them feel somewhat comfortable. So when it hits during the game, if it does hit, they've experienced that before. So, you know, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's where that all ties in. I think that should answer your question. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah. It makes them know that that thing- is like the, the familiar field, right? Like they're like, Oh, okay. I've been here before. And I really like the idea of adapting for every player and every client differently, getting to know them and then doing a little bit of sometimes maybe acting on your, on your part, right. Of way that might not be natural to you, but in the way to stimulate that growth in the person that you're working with. Well, just for a football dynamic, uh, the, the quarterback coach of Iowa Hawkeyes, Ken O'Keefe, during the offseason, he'll tell his quarterbacks, if, it's, if there's a rainstorm, not thunderstorm, but a rainstorm, out, go throw the football in the rain. Go throw the football into the wind. Go throw the football against the wind. You know, he wants to get them used to what it feels like so when it happens in the game time, it's not unfamiliar to them. And you think about this, especially in athletics, you know, a quarterback does something throws an interception, you know, if he blows his stack, gets in an emotional state, what happens if you, they get the ball back right away and this quarterback still, you know, in freeze fighter flight mode, it's devastating. That same thing happens in our real world lives, whether it's a personal relationship, whether it's a personal dynamic, a team dynamic, a leadership employee dynamic, whether it's a customer engagement. If either party in a, in, uh, let's say, managerial uh, subordinate situation, if either party is in the limbic system, they're no longer productive. If I'm a manager, I'm prone to leader, I'm prone to anger, I'm prone to frustration, I'm no longer productive. And if I, I just may put my, the people I'm leading into that emotional state as well, too, because they don't like me yelling and screaming. So that's imperative. And I think it's really imperative more now than ever um, even before this whole COVID dynamic, if you look on my website, look at my capabilities video, I immediately talk about we are in a fast-paced, high-tech, ever-evolving world. Change is hitting us faster than ever. Adversity is striking us harder. The speed at which we need to make decisions is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. This is the new way of the world. And if we can't function and our teams can't function and our business or company can't function in a rational state, we're not going to survive these times, let alone thrive in these times. So I think this whole thing about understanding our ability to deal effectively with adversity, learn from adversity, um, don't let it put you in a negative state is more important now than ever. Yeah, I think it's really critical, you know, and a big part of the work that I do with the, you know, executives and startup founders is more on that therapy side, but they're similar, right? This idea of understanding their childhood trauma or understanding their conditioning or understanding where those triggers live, right? You know, I think personality style is a big part. I think individualized, you know, childhood experience is another big part, right? If somebody is yelling at you, right? And it reminds you of when your abusive father would yell at you, you're going <laughs> to shut like, down or maybe you're going to want to punch exactly. back. Maybe you're going to want to run away or whatever the thing is, right? So That's exactly right. I think understanding the person's 
you know, individualized personal history can be really helpful to know where those pitfalls are. And then again, just same as you, right? Stimulate that, make them feel through it, allow them to be in that environment without getting overwhelmed or flooded, and then give them the skills and tools to move forward. Yeah, I talk about having a reservoir of experience and training and skill sets and education because the deeper your reservoir that you can access from, the more successful you're going to be. You know, if you're shielding people from adversity, it seems like we're in a world today where we're trying to shield children from facing difficulties. You know, I'm not saying don't, you know, you want to protect and not have harm come to children, but there's another thing about learning valuable lessons through childhood or failure or not winning or not succeeding that bode well for you down the future. If I've not experienced losing or what it takes to win or or, or um, what, what, uh, what it takes to win after we've lost. Or why did I lose? Why wasn't I successful? If we don't have that uh, introspection and that reservoir of knowledge, we're not going to be successful as we go on later on in life. So every day presents us with opportunities, as I say, to build our cortex, create that reservoir of experiences and learnings that can bode well for us down the future, whether it's in our personal lives or professional lives as well too. So, Yeah, I think it's critical. And, and the not coddling is really what I'm hearing you say too. Right? Absolutely. Finding that perfect middle ground. So we're going to move into our next commercial break here. Uh, when we come back in our final segment, we like to give something to the listeners. So if there's someone out there that is relating to Steve's story, that is searching for adversity or wants to grow or wants to, you know, sharpen their core checks. We'll give you some really practical tools and tips and things to think about uh, as we move forward. So thanks much for tuning in and we'll catch you on the other side. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C, dash, azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y, dot, teachable, dot com. Are you ready to move to your next level? Listen for Empowering Women, Transforming Lives with host Rebecca Hall Greider. Each show will focus on a central topic with discussion, guests, and your questions being featured. Our show is perfect for women who feel a call in their heart to step out in a bigger, more powerful way in their life and just need some encouragement, inspiration, and practical steps to support them on their journey. 
Empowering Women, Transforming Lives can be heard live every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel with a replay of the show Sunday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. So welcome back to our final segment here. If you're listening and you want to grow your cortex, you want to find the right mm-hmm. level of adversity, uh, we have some tips for you. So, Steve, how, how would someone start along this path, right? If they're listening to the, your podcast and are like, oh, man, I want some of that, what would be step one? Yeah, well, there's a first one is this, uh, what I call acceptance of acknowledgement. Um, it is accepting that adversity is a part of life. <laughs> And then acknowledging that either it is meant for me to grow or what can I learn from this? You know, it sounds like, yeah, whatever. That's what everybody says. But there's, it ties into the whole brain functionality piece. Because if I accept that adversity is a part of life, it is automatically going to keep me in that cortex part of the brain. I'm not going to panic. Oh, why is this happening again? Jeez, why is this happening to me? You know, oh man, that you know, so it, that is going to put you in that core, in that limbic system state. So accepting that adversity is a part of life is number one to keep you in that rational thinking. Then acknowledgement is basically preparing you to learn a lesson about this. Um, the worst thing you could do with an adverse situation is not learn the lesson. You know, the MMA fighter Conor McGregor, I think, says he never loses a fight; he learns a lesson. You know, so every situation provides an opportunity for you to learn. If you don't maybe face an ob- uh, overcome an obstacle, maybe you learned something about it to overcome it later. Um, I often work with my clients on something called a situational debrief. And you can do this yourself. I'll do it myself. If I have a perceived failure, I say perceived because there's no such thing as a failure. But a situational debrief is a four-step process that I walk walk through, which I first, if I'm doing it for myself, I'll recapture the situation, either writing it down or relive it. Mm-hmm. Then I'll go through that and I'll take, get takeaways. What was, what would good and bad happen? Good, bad, or different? What were the outcomes? And thirdly, what were the key learnings from that? And fourth is what would I do next time? So the key to a situational debrief, whether you're using it yourself or you're using it to coach someone else is getting yourself or both of you into that cortex part of your brain away from the emotion. So let's say I have a bad situation where I lose my patience, I get angry, and I ruin something with a customer. I have to get away from it for a little bit, then come back to it and walk through those four steps. Because if I walk through the four steps of reliving it, uh, key takeaways, what did I learn, and what would I do next time, I can essentially rewire my brain to revisit that situation 
so I could see what I could have done differently. I'm not allowing, I'm allowing my getting out of the emotional side. I'm learning a valuable lesson. You can do that in a managerial role or as a parent to child role. If uh, I'm working in a work environment and same situation has where one of my, my clients has a difficult engagement with a customer or a colleague, I walk through that situational debrief with them so they can revisit that situation in a rational state and see clearly what happened, what, did, what were the takeaways, what did I learn, what, did I, what could I do differently next time. The benefits of this is several fold. One, you revisit the situation, you can learn a valuable lesson that bodes well for the future. Another part of that is if you're the, the me, the coach engaging with my client, or whether you're a manager engaging with your subordinate, parent engaging with a child, is this. You're leading the dialogue. They're finding the solution. I'm not saying, Joe Blow, you should have done this. Why didn't you not do that? That's gonna, that could potentially put that person in an emotional state again, and they're gonna learn, not going to learn any lesson. So if I sit back and ask the posing questions, tell me what happened. Give me everything. Or write it down. Let's review this. Let them talk. What were key, you know, what, what, what were key uh, results from this? What were the outcomes, good, bad, or different? Have them review that. Write that down. What are key learnings? You know, what, what did you take away from this whole situation? And what would you do differently? If you're just asking those questions of someone else, they're coming up with the answers. They're coming up and they're hardwiring their brain as to, wow, I should have done this. I could have done that. Then next time a similar things happen, you're rewiring that brain. So there's two things there right there is one, acceptance and acknowledgement. That's the number one thing. The second part of that is when adversity strikes or you've gone through something, rewire, revisit that with that situational debrief. Revisit that situation in a, in a rational state of mind. Other things you can do is simply put, grow your emotional intelligence. Um, EQ is something I'm, uh, I'm assuming a lot of your listeners may know. Uh, if they don't, I'll try to sum it up this way. You have people who have IQ, your emotions, mo intelligence quotient. How smart are you? So let's look at it this way. You could be the, a Harvard grad, a PhD, or the, you know, MBA, whatever. They're the smartest person in, 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 in Harvard. But if you're prone to anger, if you're prone to frustration, you're not successful. If you tend to irritate people around you, you're not successful. If you get frustrated in real world environments like a change or adversity, you're, I don't care how smart you are, you're not successful. Emotional intelligence is about understanding those emotional aspects for you and others and, and raising that so you are more knowledgeable about yourself, you're more knowledgeable to others about others, and you're more knowledgeable about how you and others will function during real world environments. So the first, I talk about three parts of EQ, intrapersonal skills, interpersonal skills, then adaptability. So intrapersonal skills is self-knowledge. What, uh, what do I have to know about, learn about myself? How do I behave? How do I communicate? How am I motivated? How do I deal change, risk, and conflict? How do I make decisions? How do I deal with adversity? Because the more I can understand this about myself, the more I'm going to be able to understand how I'm going to respond in given situations. 
The second part, interpersonal skills, is understanding those same attributes in other people with whom you engage with. So once again, if I know myself, I know who I'm engaging with, I can have a better, more robust relationship. If I'm a type A personality and I know when I'm dealing with certain people, I can turn them off and I'm dealing with one of those people today, I'm going to calm my jets a little bit because I know I have a tendency to be overbearing and this person will not like that. If I'm like that, it can set them into that limbic state of, of freeze, fight, or flight. So interpersonal, intrapersonal skills, interpersonal skills, then the adaptability phase. How do I and this person or we as a team, we as an organization, deal with adversity, change, conflict, risk-taking, you know, uh, all these real-world scenarios that happen because the more we can understand ourselves, the more we understand how we're going to function in these crazy changing times, the more successful we are going to be. So I often talk about uh, to companies and in the leaders that, you know, the more you can raise your, e you know, times that are adverse are really opportunities for you to grow your business, steal market share, beat your competition. Because if we as leaders are functioning on all brain cylinders, if our teams are functioning on all cylinders and we can function uh, at optimal state uh, during frustrating times, it's our chance to really beat our competition because chances are they're not responding to that. So the, again, the first thing is accepting acknowledgement, running a second, secondly would be running that situational debrief. Thirdly would be growing your emotional intelligence. As I said earlier, the DISC survey, understanding your emotional triggers and responses are tools that can raise your emotional intelligence. Uh, you know, so, so acceptance acknowledgement helps us look at situations as a chance to learn, grow, transform, and evolve. Um, situational debriefs, a chance to revisit areas that, we, that weren't quite successful or why were they successful. And EQ is about raising our awareness so we know more about ourselves. We're building a reserve of, uh, of cortex muscles, so to speak. So does that make sense on those three, yeah, those three areas, Mark? Fantastic takeaways. Yeah. yeah, I think it really yeah. helps. And I like what you – we keep throwing in there, right, this idea of rewiring your brain because I can tell you from my experience in coaching, right – in the beginning, when I was young, I was naive. I was like, oh, I don't need to do these things, right? They're easy, like whatever. Just like think about what I did. I could think about what I did, you know, yeah. but doing it, even though it might seem not not basic, but just kind of frivolous is really important. Yeah. I want to really highlight that. It's really important because it does no let you switch from that emotional mind, right? The limbic mind over to your rational thinking. And you're, and it's that yeah. switch that you're practicing over and over again, you know, doing those debriefs, yeah. you know, and raising your emotional intelligence are, are critical. And I, I want to say they are transferable skills, right? Like any industry needs that, especially now, and especially with, you know, the emerging millennial workforce and wait till you get Gen Z, you're going to need a lot of EQ to work with the, with right. the younger kids coming up. That's right. That's right. So I'm curious, just as, as we're wrapping up here, has there ever been a moment where you got flooded, right? Has there ever been a moment where it was a little bit too much and you had to fall back on some of these skills? I'm talking oh, in like oh, your modern time. life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All the time. 
you know, I'll tell people just because I, I believe this whole process of me writing my, this writing my book was kind of everything coming together. Um, as I told you prior to this start, my book started off talking about my hometown, the immigrant families coming there and, and being successful despite all kinds of obstacles. And the, 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 the title in defense of adversity comes from that. The fact that how these immigrant families came from nothing, not speaking English, not speaking each other's language and became successful doctors, lawyers, businessmen and women. The, the core factor was, was their ability to face, overcome and learn from obstacles. That's where the title comes from. Then my book connects to that all. Uh, or the, um, I shouldn't say my book, the, the story from hell connects to that. That was the kickoff. I'm not, a, as I was saying to you earlier, I'm not a biographer. I, I sat on this book for five years because I interviewed some families, but I'm not a biographer. But what really brought it home was the brain functionality piece and connecting that to the DISC behavioral tool. And that has been an epiphany for me, for my life, changing my life for the better. And, you know, through knowledge, through growing my EQ, through me understanding my, uh, my emotional triggers and responses, um, through those things, I'm not saying I'm perfect by any stretch. Yes, I will fall into the Olympic state of freeze, <laughs> you know, or I'm actually a freezer and a fighter. If you look at rule of thumb, I should have said this. Dominant styles, these are fighters. Influencers are flighters. Steadiness styles are freezers. And compliance styles are freezer fighters. I'm a dominant, I'm primary high S in DISC terms and secondary high D. And for me, it works perfectly. I'm a freeze, I shut down, then I might get angry and fight back. Mm -hmm. People are like, you know, what's going on? What's, you know, he was so calm before. He didn't say anything before. Why is he mad now? You know, so I knew that happened, but I didn't know why mm -hmm. until now. Now, am I perfect? No, I still fall in that occasionally. The difference is I will fall into that emotional state much less often than I used to. And I'll be able to dig myself out of that much faster than I had in the past as well, too, because now I recognize it. I'm shutting down. I'm ready to get angry. I better speak up or I'm, I'm feeling that emotional state. I've got to do some kickboxing. I've got to go kick, 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 kick do kickboxing with my coaches to blow some steam or do yoga. So I'm much more aware now than I was before. So yeah, I'm not just because I talk this does not mean I'm infallible. I've mastered everything, but I have a good system and structure that I use with my clients that works with me as well as a human being too. So um, I'm not bragging because this book is mine. It is a great book. It works um, because I've seen it in my own life and I see it with my, uh, my customers and my clients as well too. Well, that's, that's a great message for hope. So as we're wrapping up our show here, Steve, where can people find you if they want to learn more about you, more about the book? Yeah, visit, feel free to visit my website, www.gavatorta.com. That's G-A-V-A-T-O-R-T-A.com. Um, feel free to Google me. I have a ton of great content on YouTube. Um, I have a podcast as well, too. It was put on hold a little bit because of uh, some technical issues. We're looking to refix that. But I, I think 14 or so very powerful episodes. Feel free to visit me there. Feel free to purchase my book, In Defensive Adversity, which speaks a lot about what I've talked about today and offers a gratis short version of the DISC survey if you're interested in taking that. Um, feel free to call me and email me. I love what I do. I'm the people business. 
I tell people I don't work anymore because I love what I do. So uh, if any of your audience wants to uh, pick up the phone, give me a call. It's 813-777-9414 or my email address is very simple. My first name at my last name.com, Steve at gavatorta.com. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us and thank you for listening. We'll see you another episode of From the Ashes. Thank you for joining host Mark Azoulay on From the Ashes. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Meet triumph and defeat and treat those two imposters the same.